This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, welcome to the, this qualification meeting. I'm a food addict from uh, Petaluma, California, and I am your leader for this hour. After a moment of silence, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. Um, This is my first time at a fellowship convention. I've um, been in FA for um, 18 years. I've been abstinent for that length of time, which um, I... I don't, I, I don't come from being committed to anything for longer than two weeks. I have a huge dieting history, and I would probably stay abstinent. I would probably stay on my diet for two weeks to three weeks at the most, and then I'd start gaining weight back. So it is a truly a miracle that I can stand here today with long-term recovery. And when I think about that number, all I think about is that I woke up today and I'm abstinent today because today is the most important day. And if I'm abstinent today, I can most likely be abstinent tomorrow. And one day builds up upon the the next. Um, And I look back over when I first came into this program and I was a very lost soul. I was 24 years old and I was holed up in a jail cell, which was my apartment. And I isolated and ate and isolated and ate. And it was a vicious cycle of going to fast food restaurants and going to convenience stores and taking up so much headspace, which I didn't realize when I came into program. But I was constantly thinking about what other people were thinking about me when I would leave a convenience store or leave the fast food restaurant or lie to the you know, the guy who I was ordering from because I was ordering for other people, but it was really for myself. And that was my history. And I lived like that. And that was not what I wanted for myself. All I really wanted growing up was there there was never anything very grandiose. It was I wanted to be thin and I wanted to get married. And I didn't have much bigger dreams than that. But everything I did you would wonder like, well, if you want that, then why are you eating this? And if you want that, why are you dating him? And, um, you know, I couldn't stop. I could not stop. And I really believe what the big book talks about when it says I had a physical allergy that caused a mental obsession. And the only thing that has ever worked for me is this program. Um, a little bit about where I come from, um, I was an only child for many years. My parents got divorced when I was three, very amicable separation and uh, a great childhood in the sense that I had two 
parents that loved me. They were kind of confused themselves because I was a product of the 70s, so they really wanted me to try to find that authentic self so I didn't have a lot of structure or discipline or consistency in my life. And it's so interesting because the first things I heard about when I joined program were structure, consistency, and discipline. And having children myself now, I see that they crave that. It's a sense of security, and I was so insecure growing up. Um, but my parents absolutely, now I know, now I know, after years of therapy of blaming them, that they did the best they could, and they were in the throes of addiction themselves. So that's kind of how I grew up with this, you know, kind of um, bohemian, hippie-ish kind of lifestyle, and I found uh, food as a haven. I I didn't have any kind of conventional atmosphere, and so I camped in front of the TV with my um, TV dinners and, um, you know, made friends with the TV, and I had the characters on the TV were my friends, and I lived in this fantasy land. And so I was very disappointed growing up when reality would never pan out to be what I saw on TV. And so I've, I've been constantly trying to you know, escape and search for answers in the food. And later it became promiscuity. When I was 12 years old, I, you know, I started, um, I I should back up and say my mom had been married four times. um, So the apple didn't fall far from the tree and addict herself. And that was my solution. Like, okay, well, I can um, diet down for a guy. And then if I, you know, do whatever I do and I get the guy, then I'll be set. And that never worked. I never got the guy. And so I went through many guys and many diets and nothing ever stuck. So I started thinking, I'm a bad person. I'm an evil person. I'm a weird person. I'm, you know, I just on and on. And I just, I hated myself. And every time I ate, it was like pouring self-hate into my veins. And the bigger I got, the more unworthy I got. And it was all about he, if he, if I only got thin, then he'd love me. If I only got thin, then he'd love me. But I couldn't get thin because I was a food addict. And so I kept going back and forth between dieting, dating, and eating and isolating. And so I barely graduated high school because I was so involved in the social scene and, um, and just caring about what other people thought about me. I never was in the body size that I'm in now. I was about 50 pounds heavier at my highest Throughout high school, I was on SlimFast. I fainted at high school all the time. Um, but then I would go into the um, bathroom and scarf down the sugar and flour and then walk out like nothing, no big deal. Um, and I was never in a thin body, so I always felt like I was on the outskirts. And um, so I barely graduated high school. All my other friends left there with A's and B's and went off to college. I tried um, junior high. Um, not, not junior high, junior college. I, I got on academic probation when I started junior college because I lied to my parents and I probably was eating over the guilt of lying to them. They said they would support me if I go to college and they would pay for an apartment and all that. And I dropped out of college within two weeks. I had W's and incompletes all over the place. And I used all that food, all that money on food and men. And, um, I got in trouble with the law at one point. Um, I was um, I participated in a mugging um, to to please these guys. I wanted them to like me, and I didn't know that someone had been writing down my license plate. And I remember I was working at a restaurant, and I got a call from the chief of police, 
And I'm a con artist. You know, I didn't know how smart I was until I got obstinate and put down the food. But I realized, like, I was able to somehow get out of having to do a lie detector test. They wanted to give me a lie detector test. And um, all I remember about that experience is I went right into the walk-ins, dropped a dessert item, and then, oops, oh, that fell, and then walked into the bathroom and ate it. Because, like, that's how I dealt with life. That was my common reaction. But somehow I manipulated my parents and lied to them and ended up, you know, just getting out, getting away with something. And, you know, um, it eventually caught up with me. So um, I moved down to an area. Um, I was I was having a really bad reputation in this area that I was in. Um, and my weight was crawling up again. So I moved away and I did a geographic. And wherever you go, there you are. And I wound up moving to this um, place where they, I, I don't know, I must have lived in a more sheltered community than I thought. Because when I moved to this place, the neon signs with all the food, they were like calling my name. And I was so happy. I, I was on the biggest high. I found nirvana. Like this is this is my oasis. And I, I remember that first couple weeks I lived there, I was um, living in a motel and I was working for this restaurant. I moved for the restaurant. The restaurant was going out of business. I was just about, I was enrolled again to go to another college that my parents said they were going to pay for. Within the week of being enrolled, this, um, this restaurant closed down and they offered to move me to um, the South Bay. That's That was about two hours away. And I said, well, that sounds much better than college. So I moved and um, I lived in this hotel and I remember going to all the different restaurants and getting every single thing I've always wanted that I saw in the commercials. And I, I camped out in my room, in the hotel room, drapes drawn, TV on. And those first few minutes, I was like, in heaven, I this is it. This is the answer. But then it's like, I, the reality started creeping in and it's like, what do you, you have no life. All you do is live to eat. There's nothing else you look forward to anymore. And that scared me. So what did I do? I ate more because I couldn't listen to that. I remember my first quiet time in this program. My sponsor said, you sit quietly for 30 minutes. So when I talked to her the next day and I said, you know, I chipped my nail when I was filing it and the coffee spilled. And she's like, well, quiet time's actually just sitting still doing nothing else. And I was like, what? Like, no, 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 no. I don't do one thing at a time. Like, it, it, everything has to be all at once. And I realized why I didn't want to sit still is because I didn't want to hear anything that I didn't want to hear. I didn't want to hear God saying, do this, do that. I just wanted to hear what I wanted to hear. I'm an addict who wants what she wants when she wants it. Um... And go figure, my first real quiet time, the little still small voice said, I don't think you're going to be with this guy. And I was like, give me the coffee, give me the coffee. Like I just, I didn't want to get it out, get it out. Um, And so anyway, so I ended up um, being miserable in this situation and uh, where I was at this, working at this restaurant and uh, getting fired from jobs. I was a telemarketer. Um, and I ended up finding a therapist who was 12-step oriented. My mom had tried to introduce 12-step recovery to me years before, and I poo-pooed that because of the word God, when as soon as I, I was not raised with any kind of religious background, spiritual background, and my mom started 12-step recovery, and she was all, you know, making amends to me. And, and when I was 19 years old, I remember her making an amends to me, and I had such an attitude at that 
point in my life with her. I mean, she was the bane of my existence. I just couldn't stand the woman. And she said, you know, I'm really, I really don't like the way that I parented you growing up. I really wasn't there for you. And at first I was like, no big deal, mom, please, you're embarrassing me. And then two minutes later, I was crying one of those primal cries that I've never done before. So it was like God was starting to pierce through even my thickest disease because that seed was planted. So fast forward, I was 20, 22 or 20, no, maybe it was 21 or 22 when I started um, Overeaters Anonymous through this therapist. And what I remember about the therapist is saying, I live to eat. There's no other reason I exist on the planet anymore. I don't care about anybody or anything. I am not a people person. It was even noted back in preschool that I was more interested in the snacks than the people. So this just carried on. It's not a little phase that I outgrew. It went into my adult life to where I walked in these rooms and I was a social leper. So when my sponsor said, get up and read a tool or go talk to someone, I literally felt like you were asking me to climb Mount Everest. That's how hard it was for me. I would have heart palpitations. I'd be sweating. I'd have these big sweat things going on here. I was also 50 pounds overweight, so that didn't help. But um, I didn't know how to be in the world without food. And like I said, I was duly addicted. So I'd put down the food temporarily and think I was all that when I'd lose 10 to 15 pounds, which was, by the way, the max that I would probably ever lose. So, um, and, but then I, you know, it was like changing seats on the Titanic, as they say, you know, I was just, I was still in a rut with this, the dating stuff. And so when I finally came into this program, it was after three years of being in OA and never losing any, I gained weight actually in OA, but like my abstinence in OA was, um, three moderate meals with no dessert items that had S-U-G-A-R, but, and it was like the list went on. This didn't count, that didn't, whole foods didn't count at all because it's natural. You know, I mean, I had this food addict brain calculator thing going on all the time. Had no clue how brain damage and how much headspace that this took up for me. So I came into this program and my sponsor took whatever my abstinence was with a machete. And I remember the night I got abstinent, it was March 6, 1990, no, I'm sorry, yeah, March 6, 1996, but the night before, I had been fired from another telemarketer job. My boyfriend had recorded me a tape and he was stoned when he did it and, on, and he had made a song for me and written it. On the other side was the fact he had recorded the same song, but for another girl. And mind you, there have been so many things why I should have stopped eating. I had Crohn's disease growing up. My doctors told me, you are an operation waiting to happen. You need to get this weight off. It is not good for your bowels. It is not good for your body. All these huge things in my life, but it took the boyfriend taping you know, someone else for me to say, uncle, fine, I'll do it. So I called this woman who had come from Florida and she'd brought the program here to California. And I think she had started to, she had first planted the seed to me three months before I was willing to do it. And I was like, oh, I feel so sorry for you that you have to do that extreme stuff, that anal, retentive, weighing and measuring, and ah, uh, we're supposed to befriend our food and love ourselves. And 
la 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 and meanwhile I was hating myself and my life is going nowhere but I couldn't I couldn't fathom the idea of what do I do between lunch and dinner that is not going to be enough my whole life is sugar and flour what else is there I really didn't understand so but when the pain was great enough I am very highly motivated by pain and everything it was that magical moment of storm where you know it was the physical health the mental health the spiritual emptiness that i was finally like okay fine so she literally wrote my life out on a 3x5 card if you follow this here's your ticket to life hang on tight and you know as i've heard many times it was like i was getting up at an hour i'd never gotten up at before um and i was doing things that i'd never thought i would do and i would threaten her all the time like okay i won't today but tomorrow because i have this event and i can't show up to this without doing that and eating that and doing that and um on you know the first day of my abstinence i was threatening her that on my wedding day i was going to eat wedding cake and i was nowhere close to getting married but and i'd heard one day at a time from my 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 mom's keychain and my mom's bumper sticker and but i could never apply it to me um and it wasn't one day at a time in the beginning it was hour to hour and then it became a day at a time and then it was a week at a time and then it was like oh my gosh i could do this through this it is and now i'm at the stage where i you know i've i'll share with what i've been through but i there's nothing that would make me want to lose this this is the only thing that is stable steady and secure in my life life is rolling all the time there's so many variables this is fixed this is planted and i had no idea what god was preparing me for when i was weighing and measuring my food and whining to my sponsor about never getting married and i no one's going to marry me with tupperware and you know like i just that those first few times my first time walking out in public with tupperware oh my gosh i thought i was going to die um speaking up to a waiter and you know asking and all that kind of stuff i just thought i'm going to die and i didn't and i stayed abstinent and so it was those kinds of things that later on when bigger things happened i had this toolkit and i'm like oh yeah wait god changed that god changed that so my biggest thing that i always tell people is hang in there don't quit before the miracle cuz god uses everything for good and I had the experience of being in a thin body that was pretty much enough for me in the beginning and then it was I got married in 6 years into my recovery the guy that I married was the guy that I didn't want to date because he opened car doors for me he called me back when he said he was going to call me back he had a job he had um friends and family but I'm going to marry the guy who's going to treat me like crap and plays music and smokes pot like that's what i i was going to settle for because that's what i was doing you know and i didn't i thought if you liked me there is something wrong with you like come on now i'm a you know a weak-willed gluttonous evil weirdo pig so if you like me you must be the same and um dating this guy was very hard for me he was the abstinent meal he wasn't sugar and flour i wasn't getting a hit off him And my mom once told me being in a 12 step program herself if you walk into a room and you feel a magnetic pull towards someone you turn around and run the other way. <laughs> and I didn't feel that and I wanted my disease voice was like no 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 you know and and then I started being really polyannish like oh, he didn't return a library book should I break up with him you know like just I was all over the place and my sponsor said hey you just don't eat just don't eat 
God's will is slow and steady. You're fast and furious. Is he the one? Is he the one? And it was like, every time I started dating, it was like, oh, now I can ask, are you the one for me? I never asked that question before. It was like, does he like me? Does he like me? But I, now I get to say, do I like him? So I would do this slow thing. And the slower I went, the faster I knew. So we got married after 10 months, which may not be very slow for some people, but in abstinence, when you've done so many things you know that don't feel good, you start to know what you want. And I knew what I wanted at this point. And um, so we got married, and I remember at, in front of 200 people, mostly F.A. people, um, he said something that floored me. We had written our own vows, and he said, Heidi, I love you because you're always trying to help other people and you're always trying to be a better person. And I literally, I had fellows in the background. They were my bridesmaids. And that's another story. Cause I always thought I'd have to, if I ever did get married, I'd have to rent bridesmaids, bridesmaids. Cause I had just eating buddies. When I came in here, I was so isolated in a hole, hold up, but I wanted to look at my fellows going, is he talking about me? Like, is that, is that me? And it is, that's what had happened to me because I'd spent years just sponsoring. And if I just, I said, okay, it's enough. If I'm just going to live with cats and sponsor, just change my brain, like help that be enough to just help another food addict. Cause at one point it was, but then the bigger my life got, I have seen people leave program, getting the guy, getting the job, getting the this. And I know that that is what I would be headed for if I didn't have this rock solid foundation. So I got the guy and you know what he in on paper, it sounded okay to him. I'm not going to be with you in the mornings because I'm on my calls and I'm going to take my quiet time and I'm going to eat breakfast at the same time every day. And all of a sudden he's like, Oh, I have so much respect for that. But when he moved in, and five years into it, uh, he started saying, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not feeling number one here. And um, I had to look at my program at that point because I knew that I couldn't compromise. This was life or death to me. But I also needed to remember that, like, this is what I wanted. I wanted to be married. And I needed to make this guy feel like number one. And I've heard that for years. Like, anything... If I put my program first, then everybody else gets that quality. And my husband wasn't. So what I did change was I started applying the 12 steps to my marriage. And slowly but surely, and when I say slowly, we're 12 years married and it's slow. But it's happening. And I am more in love with him today. That delayed gratification because there's another meal coming happened with my marriage. So I am falling more in love with him every single day. And again, God knew what he was doing because... When I, I wanted to get pregnant, I wanted to have, you know, I wanted it all. So I'm so glad that God didn't give me the guy until I was six years abstinent. And it was enough to just be with me and God. God is good. God is great. God is the most awesome date. I made that up when I was lonely at night and I needed to go to sleep and I wasn't using food and I wasn't using men. And so when I got married within the first couple years, we really wanted to get pregnant and it wasn't happening. And doctors had said, because you had gone, you treated your body so poorly during those years of being promiscuous, it doesn't look promising for you. And so I, you know, I tried to have acceptance around that. And I went to the doctor one day with a lot of pride, um, false pride, because I had this kind of idea that, you know, when you're in program, you just don't get sick. Cause I hadn't been sick in seven years this is, um, yeah, seven years. And I went to the doctor thinking I had a flu and walked out pregnant. 
And that was my first son. And um, then two years later, I had Sophie, my little girl. So now I had, this is what I'm thinking F.A. gives you, this perfect life. Because I'm getting the dreams that I talked about in the beginning. Now I have the cute husband. We just bought a house, by the way. I have the son first, the daughter next. I am like the poster child here. And I had no idea. I, here I'm saying I'm spiritually fit, co-leading AWOLs, and I was doing the best I could. You know, absolutely. It's like we are, we're right where we should be. But then, like I said, God just uses everything. In my third pregnancy, 17 weeks in, found out I had a baby with Down syndrome. So I was really put to the test because within minutes of finding this out, I wanted to quit before the miracle get me out of my own skin. I don't want to do this. I'm checking out. This is not part of my plan. Uh, 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 uh. You've given me everything else, God. Now what, the, what's this curveball? And, um, I didn't eat through it. Um, but I, I had to sit with these really nasty negative feelings about what I was going to do and what I was not going to do and all these different doctors and all this kind of stuff. And at some one point, I had a quiet time, and again, not drinking coffee, not filing my nails, heard the voice of, the only reason you don't want to have this child is because of the way she looks. And it was the hardest thing to admit, but I've heard and I know that honesty is the most important tool in this program. It's it. Rigorous honesty. So I had to get honest with that with my fellows and tell on myself, like, oh, don't. You know, and I was like, oh gosh, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to hear that voice. So how could I do anything rash when I heard that voice? And so I didn't. And I went to, at one point they said that her heart was bad and that her esophagus wasn't attached and that she is not going to survive. Da, 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 da. And I was just like, oh good, there's my out. But then I went to this second doctor because I was so confused. And my sponsor's like, just go and get more information because you don't even know what you're hearing. You just want to escape right now. And I remember this was one of these God moments that the doctor said to me that her heart is fine and her esophagus is attached. And I remember saying, you mean all she has is Down syndrome? And I'm like, when did that happen? It was like all of a sudden liking your abstinent food and that being enough. It was the same exact feeling. And I'm like, oh my gosh, God's done it again. He's changed, even before she's born, he's changed my heart. All these people are saying, oh, Down syndrome such a blessing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to be, you know, I was so in fear of how to handle a, a child with special needs. It was so unfortunate that that's, my negativity kicked in that way, but that's how it manifested. Well, needless to say, she is the biggest blessing in my life. She is my antidepressant. She is my happy pill. Um... I'm obsessed with Down syndrome. I love everything Down syndrome. If you friend me on Facebook, you will see Down syndrome left and right, up and down. I remember trying to subject myself to YouTube videos before she was born just to kind of get a grab. I don't see it. I don't see what everyone else sees. I seriously, I could just lie with them all day. I mean, honestly, and I, when I get high on life, when I hug her, I have that drug that we search for in the food and in dr real drugs. I get that by hugging this little girl. So God used everything. He changed my eyes and my heart around food. I don't think about food the same way that I used to. God changed my eyes and my heart around my daughter. And in my fourth pregnancy, I got diagnosed with cancer when I was seven months pregnant. And believe it or not, it was kind of anticlimactic after what I'd been through with Sadie. I didn't go to fear for that long. I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. 
I can just pick this up here. I used to have to bank on the people that have gone before me, and I still do when I have doubt, but I had all these experience, experiences of staying abstinent through all these different things, and I've always been taken care of, and God's always used it. So my biggest fear when I first, when I got the call that I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, pre I'm pregnant with cancer, the first thought, honestly, was, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my hair. I mean, that was honestly, because when I was fat, my identity was wrapped up in what does my hair look like? If I could have hair 99 in place, but if that hair 99, I mean, I was completely obsessed. And I was, I've been suicidal over my hair because of people said, oh, you have such a cute face and your hair. You know. So it was like, I was, I lived from here up. So my, I had, my sponsor had to remind me, you weren't your hair. You're going to go to your, no wonder committed meetings are so important because I don't want to go to my committed meeting. She said, you go no matter, you walk through that fear. And I walked in with my head held high. But after it was my hair, it was like, oh yeah, wait, I'm pregnant. Wait, no, no, that can't be. You can't have cancer and pregnancy at the same time. So I walked through that with um, talking to my sponsor, talking to my doctors, them saying this is actually common, this can happen. And um, what ended up happening is all those years, like I said, why am I shopping and chopping and weighing and measuring and what's the whole purpose of all this and why do I have to make these three calls and I don't get it all. And it's like my sponsor used to say, you're putting insurance in the bank for a rainy day. And I didn't know what that rainy day was going to be. If you would have told me on day one that I was going to be pregnant with cancer, Down syndrome, I mean, I'd be like, bye-bye, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. I would not change a thing about my life today. I wouldn't change a thing about my daughter, Sadie. If I could go back and do, I'd plan her exactly the way she is right now. My whole cancer experience, I'd plan that exactly the way it was now. And it was hard. It was hard. There were times my sponsees were lifting me up through that. I mean, they didn't give up on me through that. They still wanted me to sponsor them. And I didn't feel like I had anything to give for almost a whole year. And I had a break to have a baby and all that. And I went through four rounds of chemo while I was pregnant. Then I had a two-week break. Then I had the baby. Two weeks later, I went for another four rounds. It just so happened that before this all came down, I had scheduled my sponsor to come visit because she, like, she comes after each pregnancy. And so she got to be with me during a chemo. We just sat there with my baby doing chemo. My sponsor was amazing. And um, people waited and measured my food. You know that expression, it takes a village? Like, I had to let my village raise my kids for almost a whole year. I'd be in bed eating my meal and hearing my daughter learn how to ride a bike outside. But I didn't eat through it. And it was actually the hardest part of this process was that coming down. It was almost like you guys carried me so much that I didn't have to do much for myself. And so I had to relearn how to weigh and measure food on my own and get back to meetings. Because, like, you give me an inch and I'll take a mile or ten miles. So if I don't have to go to meetings, cool. If I don't have to make calls, cool. You guys all came to my house. Everyone is in my house. I had people in program do an extreme makeover in my house. I came home from my vacation. My whole house was reorganized. Every one of them a fellow or a Swansea. So someone said earlier, you know, we pay our dues. And it's like I didn't know that was coming, but I wouldn't have it any other way. So I always forget the punchline here, by the way. Two punchlines is I didn't have wedding cake. <laughs> there was no wedding cake. Um, 
And I don't think anybody noticed. I didn't notice. I was so focused on the love in the room. And the second thing is um, my I have a three-year-old daughter who went through chemo before she got to this planet, and she's healthy and wonderful today. I didn't quit before the miracle. And, you know, I want to end on this because my um, lump that I found, I wanted to ignore, and I used to ignore my Crohn's all the time. And this program saved me from having to have operations on that because I finally did what the doctors told me to do. And when I was told, you know, like, it's nothing, it's nothing. I was at my, actually, I was, went, went to go visit my sponsor, and I couldn't leave this thing alone. I kept feeling it and feeling it. And they said, you're very lucky that you came in when you did. And that's why I had to do chemo during pregnancy because it was such an aggressive cancer that even two more months would have made a difference. And it's this program because I wasn't 50 pounds overweight. And I just thought they were mammary glands because I always get this, you know, this swelling, the mammary glands, but that still small voice, those quiet times, don't take them for granted. It's, you know, you don't want to hear it, but you do want to hear it because I want to get well more than I want to save my face today. So I'm so grateful. I have this amazing, huge life, but I'm always reminded that I'm a food addict first. I don't, my program doesn't look much different from the day I got abstinent, you know, besides this background noise going all the time. But, you know, I have my quiet time and I've worked it out in the morning so kids aren't interrupting me and they know. I mean, I, I, I always joke around that someday all my kids know is me in program. They've never seen a fat mom. They've never seen an angry, rageful mom. And that's what I had before a program. And I always laugh because I'm like, someday they're going to be out on the playground. And my son or daughter is going to go, well, who's your sponsor? And what meetings do they go to? <laughs> Because that's the, the language they know. They know when I, you know, a sponsee left me and I was crying and they said, well, let's try to call him back and see if we can work it out, mom. And, you know, it's just, that's what they know. And I'm just so grateful to be here. Thank you. Oh, we're going to close actually with a moment of silence and the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.